Anyone who moves to live in a foreign country will tell you there's a learning curve. I love hearing stories about that. For people who've come here, or for Americans who go elsewhere, like our Rwanda missioners, some of these stories are really insightful, like coming here to the States on leave and going to the grocery store and not being able to choose a toothpaste or a peanut butter because there's so many choices. I've heard this story from our missioners. Some of these stories are funny. I visited Rwanda a few times before I had kids, hoping to be able to go back at some point. And one of the Westerners that I met on this trip shared a story a couple of years ago that really made me laugh. He was in need of a new work desk. And there's no IKEA in Rwanda yet. So he decided to custom order one from the local market. It was a great idea to you know, support the local merchants. There was this beautiful dark red wood. And he was excited. So he carefully got the measurements all set. He wrote them down for the merchant, and then he waited for his desk. Finally, he got the news that the desk was ready. So he went to the market to go pick it up. And when he saw the table, he knew he'd made a mistake. He had measured the desk in inches, and the merchant had made it in centimeters. Seven inches became seven centimeters. So the desk he received was about this big. Great picture of him sitting in front of the tiny desk on the floor, barely fits his computer, looks a bit like a clown car. He miscalculated, and he ended up with a desk that was too small. Funny story. I think it's also a sort of parable, and one that turns us toward our scriptures. As we look at our scriptures, as we look around us today, I wonder... Have our calculations left us with a Jesus that is too small? Is the Jesus we imagine too small? Is our imagination of what Jesus is up to in the world too small? That's my one question for us today as we turn to the Gospel of Mark. Is your Jesus too small? Mark 6 follows on the heels of last week's Gospel that Wade preached for us dramatic healings of a woman and a girl, and before that, a dramatic exorcism of the legion of demons from a man, and the dramatic calming of a big storm. Jesus is on a roll. The disciples might feel a bit dazzled at this point, and then Jesus makes a hometown visit, and the folks at home are not impressed. Well, at first they are a bit. As they hear him teach, they're astounded or amazed, verse 2. They're bowled over. Where is this coming from? What's going on with this, these wise teachings and these miracles? Remember what Wade pointed out to us last week about Mark asking us good questions? Well, the key question in this passage is, where did this man get these things? If they were to give the obvious and true answer, it would lead them to a confession of faith. This man got these things from God the Father. But they don't get there because they think they've already got Jesus pegged. And you can understand why. The folks at Nazareth, in many ways, were the people who'd spent the most time with Jesus, who were familiar with him. I'm sure there were people in the synagogue who'd used that phrase you've probably heard from meeting your parents' friends. I knew you when you were in diapers. So before long, they start saying, wait, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? That's a bit of a dig right there. They don't talk about his dad. Your, your origins are kind of suspect. Isn't this this guy? The brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? 
Aren't his sisters right over here with us? We know this guy. We know his family's dirty laundry. And the rest of his siblings are totally normal. What happened to him? What does he think he's doing? And their astonishment turns into anger. They take offense. They're scandalized. The very things that should point them toward faith instead cause them to stumble. They miscalculated who Jesus was. Their Jesus was too small. Is our Jesus too small in here, in the community of faith? A place that should be Jesus' hometown of a sort, right? We Christians are the people who spent the most time with Jesus, in scripture, in prayer, in church, even in seminary. It's good to be comfortable with Jesus, but a Jesus who never makes us uncomfortable is probably too small. So I wonder, are there things that Jesus is up to in the hometown of the church that we take offense at instead of embrace? In the history of the church, there have been times when we can look back and see believers have been at risk of taking offense at Jesus rather than responding in faith. One of the first times was when God revealed that Gentiles were were to be welcomed into the household of faith. That scandalized some people. They spent a lot of time trying to work that out. The Reformation, I think that's another time in which we can see the Reformers come along and said, created a Jesus small. And many stumbled. One of the more recent times, I think, that the community of faith took offense rather than responded in faith to what Jesus was up to was in our country's attempts to desegregate in the 50s and the 60s. There were many people of faith who were part of that desegregation movement, but many people of faith took offense. On Sunday, June 9th, 1963, Jackson, Mississippi, four local students attempted to cross the color line at two prominent white churches. A recent law had made disturbing divine worship punishable by a $500 fine and six months in prison. That was a a law targeting attempts to desegregate like this. So the students came up to the Baptist church first. No offense to the Baptists. They were confronted on the front steps by the head deacon. The governor himself arrived for worship and just went around. They were turned away. That afternoon, the board of deacons at the church held an emergency meeting and unanimously passed a resolution endorsing the church's actions and saying that the church continue to confine its assemblies and fellowship to those other than the Negro race. So the students headed to the second church, Methodist. Here it was the ushers who refused to let them in, and they were turned away again. This is cutting out. Here the response from senior leaders was different. Senior pastor, Reverend W.B. Selah, had preached before to his congregation that there can be no color bar in a Christian church. So when the ushers turned the students away, he was told, the pastor was told in the middle of the service what happened. He cut his sermon short. He pulled out a statement he'd written in advance in case this happened, this very thing. And he resigned then and there. The associate minister followed suit. Two churches, two sets of steps on which black worshipers were turned away, two sets of leaders, two different responses. 
whose Jesus was too small. And lest we think this is all in the past, at yesterday's prayer walk, one of us here told of a conversation they'd had with somebody in Highwood, maybe this past week. Someone fairly representative of the Highwood establishment. And our Redeemer person was telling the Highwood person about this church. And that person's question was, are there any Mexicans at that church? With an expletive in front of Mexicans. Well, not right now. And the response was, good. Then maybe I'll go to your church. How big of a Jesus will he find here? When our Jesus is too small in here, we can actually miss out on what God wants to do in our midst. Notice verses 5 and 6. Jesus wasn't able to do any miracles there in his hometown because of their lack of faith. You know, except for miraculously healing a few people. I think that's kind of humorous. Jesus wasn't magically blocked from miracles as if it was like man, right? Where Tinkerbell and the fairies can only live if we believe hard enough and clap a bunch. But in the Gospels, Jesus consistently heals not just random people seeking cures, but the people who show true faith in him. Miraculous healings disconnected from true faith, that's magic, not miracle. And even after all this ill will in Nazareth, Jesus did heal those in his hometown who turned to him. There just weren't many people who did. Imagine what Jesus might have done in Nazareth if his people had turned to him in faith if their Jesus had been big enough. Imagine what Jesus can do in here if we're willing to allow the Spirit to expand our vision of who Jesus is and to respond in faith. Just imagine. I feel like we all need to take a big breath together. That's okay. Let's breathe. Jesus is here with us. Well, after his disappointing experience in Nazareth, you'd think Jesus might want to regroup a bit. When your strategy isn't succeeding, you're supposed to try something else, right? I think that's what they teach you in leadership classes. But what does Jesus do? He goes out into the villages doing the exact same thing he's been doing, preaching and teaching, healing, casting out demons, proclaiming the kingdom. Not only does he not change his strategy, his disciples to go out and do the exact same thing. You can imagine them going, wait a second, you're not going to rethink this even a little bit? Nope. And in fact, I'm going to send you out with even less than you normally have. Leave your change of clothing at home. Don't bring money for food or a snack or even something to carry extras along the way. I'm giving you authority, but not authority that gets you stuff. Authority to do exactly what I've been doing. And by the way, you'll be rejected too. So here's what to do when that happens. And the amazing thing is that even with that warning and after what they've just seen in Nazareth, the disciples go. They preach repentance. They drive out demons. They heal the sick. Their picture of Jesus is big enough that they can respond in faith and go out on mission. Part of the passage takes us into the second half of our question. Is our Jesus too small out there? Is our Jesus too small in here? Is our Jesus too small out there? Is our 
imagination for what Jesus wants to do in our world big enough so we can go with him when he's on the move? Does our vision of what faithfulness looks like include both rejection and success? Are we bringing good news that touches people in their material conditions as well as their spiritual conditions? Are we trying to build something that protects us? Are we willing to be vulnerable and trust God to provide Is our vision of Jesus out there big enough? I think that often the church has erred in our mission, not because our understanding of the good news that we proclaim has been too big, because it's been too small. Think about all the different kinds of gospels you might think of. The prosperity gospel, that God always rewards faith with material blessing. All a gospel. The good news is that God is at work in the world, even in our sufferings. The salvation gospel, that Jesus came so we can go to heaven when we die, that's too small a gospel by itself. Jesus is remaking all things on heaven and earth, even now. The progressive gospel, that kingdom work is the same thing as social justice, that's too small a gospel. There is no true shalom without reconciliation with God, too. On a day like this, I think it's important for us to say that The America gospel, that the U.S. is God's vessel to bring light to the world, that's too small a gospel. Jesus is the light of the world. And God came to create a people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every ethnicity, every skin tone his work. Is the good news we proclaim about Jesus big enough? Is mine? Is yours? When our Jesus is too small out there, we also miss what God is doing. Imagine if the disciples hadn't gone out on the road because they were afraid of being rejected the way Jesus had. They'd have missed out on the astounding experience of the kingdom breaking through, through them, through their laid on for healing, the oil of anointing through the conversations around the table, through the shrieks of the enemy driven out and the tears of the oppressed set free, through the dusty feet sometimes shaken. Many people are shaken these days, including some of us, because of what we're seeing in the church as a whole. This passage reassures us that Jesus is way bigger than that. Jesus is on the road. Jesus is doing something. Imagine what we might miss out on out there if we let the kids in here shrink our view of who Jesus is and what he can do. Just imagine. Is your Jesus too small? In here, out there? Mine is. The truth is that for all of us, our imagination of who Jesus is and what he wants to do is too small. Because we are small. We can't help that. Some of you know that my five-year-old daughter is obsessed with butterflies. We found a caterpillar in my parsley recently. We got to watch it turn into a chrysalis. Some of you have seen this on Instagram. It's been really cool. Well, it hatched on Friday. It's a bit hard for me to take in this whole process because 
Caterpillars' insides grow while their outsides don't, so they have to shed their skin, and they do this three or four times and get bigger. Each time the skin peels off, there's something new underneath. Then the skin peels off, and there's a chrysalis underneath. I don't understand that. Dan, you'll have to explain it to me, Mr. Scientist. How did they move with that chrysalis thing under there? I don't get it. Then the last time, of course, they shed their chrysalis, and out comes the butterfly. That was the thing the caterpillar had been aiming at the whole time. We can't help being small, but we can grow. As people of faith, we're called to be those who are growing, who've never arrived at faith, who have to keep following Jesus out on the road. If we're not willing to grow, we'll end up like those people in Nazareth who couldn't receive Jesus when he was revealed kingdom to them, or like a caterpillar, trapped in a too small skin, unable to become what it was made to be. Is our Jesus too small? Yes. So let's grow. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you and me with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.